0: Two movies enter, one movie leaves. This is the Great Movie Showdown. Tonight, we have The Nice Guys versus Inherent Vice. With me today are Blake Smith and William Goodnow.
1: What's up, Hello. guys?
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> What's All going right.
0: On? Smooth, smooth. <laughs> the Nice Guys, a film about the independent pornography industry in the 70s and the undercutting of the big three with catalytic converters trying to poison the birds of the world, nice. versus Inherent Vice, a movie of... A.
1: <laughs> there it is, a movie.
0: A movie. <laughs> 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 Leave it at that, please. All right. A movie with me today I is our special guest, Blake Smith, Hello, and my co-host, William Goodnow.
2: What's up, guys? You know me. We're going to talk... <laughs>
0: all right as per our uh our new format so uh <laughs> no so we're going to start with some opening statements blake is going to be defending inherent vice will is going to be defending nice guys and we're just gonna kind of it'll be it'll be sort of like our last episode the mulan episode it wasn't mulan was it oh what <laughs> was we didn't
2: do mulan it was pocahontas
0: then. pocahontas and i always get them confused yeah you do and i don't know how I don't know how either, honestly. (laughs) I honestly don't have a good reason for that. But anyway, so Blake, I'm going to give you two minutes on the talk on the two minutes on the clock to uh, give us an opening statement on inherent vice, and your time starts now.
1: Inherent vice is the ineffable atmospheric tale of late 60s, early 70s California. It is the death of the hippiedom dream and all of the fallout that came from that. And if you're like the majority of people that have seen it, you probably didn't like it very much. And (laughs) that is fair because in my opinion, it is probably Paul Thomas Anderson's most, I don't want to necessarily say challenging, but most difficult or frustrating film On the surface, and that is because it is being adapted from one of the uh, all-time most challenging, frustrating, difficult authors, the magnificent Thomas Pynchon. Um, What is there to be said about a movie that kind of struggles to say everything itself? (laughs) Uh, Or at least, not so much struggles to say, but struggles for us to grasp it which is kind of at the heart of what the movie is and if this entire intro and defense seems uh stilted and difficult and nonsensical and like it's just running into itself uh that's because that's what it is because that's more or less what the movie is it is this neon dripped 60s sunny mobius strip it is as it, it's kind of the the anti LA noir. As much of as much as the California noir films are the negative approach of the classic Columbia noirs, this even turns the California noir more or less on its head by bringing in these surrealist qualities, these uh, this Robert Downey Senior sense of adventure and goofiness, the humor all being birthed from vaudeville and Cheech and Chong creates this. Heady brew that tastes awful to almost everybody the first time you take it, but just like any any old kind of ayahuasca, when you really let it run into your system, when you let it cool in your veins, when you lay back and you just let the light wash over you, and you really become doc somewhat. That's when it, that's when it takes hold, and that's when I think you can really feel it, and it it opens up something that you can't exactly describe. And that's what Pynchon's that's what his great gift is, is being able to voice these voiceless things and you don't really know exactly what it is he said or what exactly you even liked about it, but you can feel it inside. Or at least I can, and I like to okay. think others can.
0: All right. So that's a opening statement for Inherent Vice. All right, Will, are you ready to, uh, to talk about The Nice Guys?
2: Hell yeah, dude. All
0: right. You've got two minutes on the clock and your time starts now.
2: The Nice Guys is... Shane Black's uh, passion project and more importantly his one for them and then the one for me kind of scenario that worked out with him getting finally the notoriety of Iron Man 3 and then immediately getting everything he could ask for from a studio because of that Marvel success, him being able to get away with coming out with the nice guys and getting a Russell Crowe and getting your Ryan Gosling to play these complete just anti-heroes in a movie where it's almost the best title for any kind of noir detective story ever. It's just the nice guys, no one full and well. That's the last thing they are. If anything, they're both extremely um, rude, judgmental, and uh, opinionated to the point of you don't actually want to have beers with these characters because they, they kind of get on each other's nerves and get on the audience's nerves. They seem to never really make – very good decisions at any given point in time. And that is the brilliance of it is that they are, this is Shane black. If he were finally allowed to make like gun to your head scenario, like what's something that would come out of you. This is literally the best Shane black we're ever going to get. I think like this is his magnum opus because of his shot choices, the style of the comedy that I promised you was always going to be timeless regardless of the fact that the movie set in what should be. (sighs) It should actually be, I think it is in the 70s. I, I think,
1: think it's 75.
2: the 70s. Sem- yeah, it is yeah. 70s. And so like, this is something that you can clearly tell that that he absolutely believed, believed in because he's learned from making it, um, and for our audience that possibly isn't as much as a Shane Blackner as I am. He's been working on this formula since the original Lethal Weapon. You could see elements of what he wanted to do with the older guy who's more experienced and the younger kind of, you know, wackadoo person. Only this time, it's not Martin Riggs and whatever, Um, you know, you know, what I'm talking about um whatever um, Danny Glover's character's name is. um, I forget his detective and or his nice yeah, police officer's name. No, no, no. I'm talking about just Shane Black style and how we get to oh, nice guys, oh, gotcha, because gotcha. what makes nice guys so fantastic is the context of it being um like I said, Shane Black's best work ever. And you as a fan, I've always waited for him <laughs> to kind of like perfect it because a lot of artists um move through life and, you know, they always work on a similar theme, if you notice, especially as a writer. And he's been working on this since Lethal Weapon. And then he made the Long Kiss Goodnight, um, which w- had uh Samuel L. Jackson and Gina Davis and that was kind of like the buddy formula of two people who are opposites coming together. And then um he's also obviously helped make what is another movie that he came out oh kiss kiss, kiss bang, bang, bang bang that um that reinvigorated uh, robert dine jr's career um and gave us val kilmer at his best um but once again that formula again the new uh neo-noir kind of um detective story with the buddy cop formula kind of played mm-hmm. with and then finally you know he gets everything he could ever want the stars align he gets the best actors possible at the top of their game and he finally like this is it if you were to make the perfect kind of buddy cop and i'm you know using air quotes here formula this is it this is the best version of it we'll ever get and it's fantastic and then everything else trust me i'll go on and on later in the show (laughs) about why this is perfection personified
0: all right all right so um so I guess let's, let's go to the, um, to Blake, do you want to take a, a five minute window? And so, yeah, yeah and I think thing, we can even I,
1: before I forget though, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, maybe you can edit this in later if it doesn't fit as well with the <clears throat> format we're doing now, but I would so much, cause you mentioned it so perfectly in your opening statement that I want to give a, well, like kind of give a point away right now that these are both, uh, Comedies, ostensibly, yes, uh, without a doubt, and it—it's it, not easy to say this, but Nice Guys is so much funnier than Inherent Vice. If you um, look, really. Inherent,
2: Inherent yeah. Vice is not looking to make you laugh out loud. Inherent Vice is looking to make you think about it later and kind of chuckle.
1: <laughs> it, is, <laughs> like, it is, but there's so much there's comedy there, absolutely on the surface, and it's meant to make you think. Like you said, think about it while chuckling. But what feels to me, and you said how Nice Guys is is like the comedies, kind of always. It's um, how'd you word it? That it's got timeless comedy, regardless of the fact that it's set in the 70s. And I think that yeah. is one of the biggest differences between Inherent Vice and Nice Guys is the approach to comedy. That Shane Black took a very contemporary approach yes. to comedy. So we can all laugh our ass off watching Inherent Vice because it's exactly the way humor hmm. has developed. Whereas uh Inherent Vice, by P. T. Anderson's own admission, the comedy was very much based on Cheech and Chong. It was based on underground comics from the 60s. It was based on vaudeville and these very older styles of comedy, which I think lends itself so well to the atmosphere of the movie, but does make it harder for nowadays audiences, myself included, to really laugh the whole way through. There are uh, there are absolutely moments of great, like we all know the Josh Brolin banana scene. There's, there's no yep. lack of big laughs in there, but they are far fewer and far between and there's way more things they're like it's funny but i'm not laughing at it as opposed to nice guys yes where ryan Gossin yeah. punches in the window and cuts his hand and i fu- i lose it it's the funniest well, you thing oh, you know, the yeah. see, see
2: right there and that's the thing is um when we get into it because i want to stop right there but i want you to put a pin in that because i'm gonna bring that up in my own little five minutes mm-hmm. because that's what makes the nice guys also like perfection personified when you come to the buddy comedy because now not only is it of its time right like you said that the comedy in it is so modern it's also highly meta In and of itself, like we have gone through, like I said, Shane Black himself has set the standard for the buddy comedy, comedy, buddy cop comedy, the neo, like I said, detective story, because that's what he's been working on is these mysteries. Each film that he's worked on constantly has had this big reveal by the third act, so he knows how to plant the seeds, and now he's able to actually make fun of his tendencies. Like he's literally allowed to now go back with this, you know, uh, career of writing behind him. He can now go ahead and look back on what he's done. Perfect example is... That instance of violence that you see, like you think it's just going to be like any old detective story, you're just like, okay, he's going to, you know, break the window, he's going to pop his fist in, unlock it, and go. That's not what happens. And sorry, sorry, I'm going to have to do a momentary pause because now I'm rambling, and Zach's just going to have to edit this as well.
0: (laughs) Um, We can just go. We can just for forego these five minute bits and just talk about the movies.
2: Yes. All right. All right. Okay. Because I'm better at that than having to formulate five minutes of my own. So so yeah. So perfect example is. Literally, Shane Black himself has written in scenes where a character needs to get into a thing. He needs to get into a window, he needs to get into a building, whatever, whatever they need to do. And it's always been the most conceited thing perfect. For example, Long Kiss Goodnight ends with the character, I kid you not, dripping somehow some little bit of gas like off of her daughter's... um, partial like her little braces off top of her teeth Mm. down a little stream that she's cut into this freezer floor to blow the door off somehow because there's barrels of whatever like it's the most conceited and um like coincidental sequence ever that you could get a character out of something but it's supposed to be big and bombastic like it's supposed to be that it's a fun action movie directed by rennie harlan who we know you know got his career you know, making what, um, nightmare on Elm street five. And then like, and then, like immediately jumped into a diehard sequel who then, like I said, got to direct this. And it's just like, it was ridiculous. That's what it was. So it was fine. But the point is, is now Shane black is able to kind of go, yeah, you know, the typical just shouldn't be typical. So how, what is the most typical thing ever? Uh the character trying to, um, literally just break into a place. He's going to cut his wrist on the, just the tiniest bit of glass and then, like, it's the funniest thing ever. And then the best part is you also need to build character. It shouldn't just be, hey, I'm going to make fun of myself. He's also trying to build Brian Dawson's character. So what happens is now we get the theme of, we. well, now I have to go back. We see his character first revealed in the bathtub, fully dressed in a suit. Like, he's supposed to go to work, but he sits in the bathtub. And on his hand is inscribed, you will never be happy. And yeah. we're seeing someone deal with depression well what's the depression from we don't know yet his daughter calls him reminds him that it's her birthday things like that he kind of falls out and then he sits against the wall and like i said reveals our little we don't know if it's a tattoo or someone wrote it in ink we'll find out later um and then he talks about um his wife oh well you know my wife used to say this she's right and it's so funny because you think the dialogue and i remember like i've seen it now enough times to would be like i love that Shane Black like, didn't make him say she was right like okay she's gone it's he already addressed the fact that his wife passed away whatever happened Mm -hmm. we don't know she got cancer or anything
0: well i think she died in the fire
2: right oh that's right the fire of the house jesus christ and then um the important part is like he says she's right so it's such a great kind of little bit of dialogue that reveals how a normal widow would talk is that they still talk as if that person's still there sometimes they forget they're gone so it's a beautiful little thing (laughs) that he does with the wording like literally you would just put she was right like as if he's seeing a past tense i'm like that's so fucking cool anyway little writing bits like that and then now we're moving on to like i said he's investigating and <laughs> the like the old lady who's like my husband is missing and, and <laughs> oh he's like gosh, oh yeah. and then he the sees the name on the... The, the the little urn and he's in ashes right there and he's like um man when did he exactly go missing she goes around the funeral and he just kind of goes I, I can i can start right now let's do that like, just, yeah. okay. so so now so we you know get, everything we need to know about him yeah, yeah you get
0: that he's kind of like a bit of a shyster like he it's not that he's like he's inherently right a, he's not, he's not malevolent
1: or anything. yeah but he's
0: like <laughs> if he can make a quick buck right. he's not going to, he'll he'll turn a blind eye to to morality
2: exactly, it and it's like right there we get yeah. everything we need to know about him. Well, what I, before anything even you don't get everything.
1: Happened. I feel like the combination of that scene and the the window punching scene really is what gives you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Because then yeah. you, yeah. you see him yeah. do that, and he's like, <laughs> they could have very easily made him be like the cool detective. Yeah, he'll take these cases. He'll rip off old ladies, but he gets mm-hmm. the job done. But he goes to start doing the job. And he's doing the cool thing, wraps his hand. Like you said, we're all expecting, like, okay, this is how he breaks him. We're just seeing that. Yeah. But then he cuts off, yeah. and he falls down and starts screaming. And it's it's hilarious. And you mean it's like, oh, he's kind of inept. He is. Yeah. And then, then the not
0: best part, part is afterwards. And you afterwards, get, you you get, the get that throughout the film. <laughs> yeah, Just and then those nuns, little you know, bits. Of... which she's
2: like, "Have you found God?" Have you found? A guy? And remember, he just puts his eyes, his hat in her hand, and he goes, "I'm I'm looking for Amelia." So he's still <laughs> thinking of the job. It's yeah. like, no, I don't care about that. That's great. what I mean. Like we, we and I st-
0: mean, Go ahead. it it makes. I think that's why this movie just feels so great because a lot of it feels like almost a commentary on noir films and yes. when they try to like do the cool thing and the cool thing doesn't work or the slick thing doesn't work like when uh when the daughter throws the cold coffee on the villain
2: yes sorry or we're getting no, into when spoiler he tries to throw the gun now. and it goes right over his head yeah when out he throws the, the gun
0: and it flies out the window as they're getting <laughs> shot at and just all of the uh when he takes his, his daughter to, to the valet, and they see that she's in the trunk, and he still uh, tries to valet the car with her in the trunk.
2: No. <laughs> they are um, just like, we can't do that. When he's trying to be Mr. Cool, he's drunk as shit. He's yeah. trying to be Mr. Cool outside the party, and the girl's like <laughs> fake shooting him, and he's, uh, uh. Yeah. And he overplays it and flips and rolls down the hill and finds the And then the she immediately
0: body. is like, that's so cool, and then walks away. Yes! And then he ends up
2: finding the body like he's freaked out. Oh, that's
0: so great. But it's just there's so many moments in there where it's like this film recognizes that it's a movie. And the pacing in this film is pretty pretty great, pretty on point. It feels like you get what you need. The characters feel flushed out. They feel interesting. I mean, the daughter is hilarious. And I feel like really brings home a lot of the morality of both of the detective characters. Mm-hmm. it really, like brings that back. I do well, like how she is. Um, how she's she's like, oh, if you kill him, I'll never talk to you again. See, like, I wanted to people get into that. Okay, Yeah, having having grenades blown up in their face at this yes. point in the movie multiple times, and then she's like, you don't have to kill this guy. And it's, I mean, I was kind of like,
2: I was going, to I was actually going to get yeah, into that right, back right, right off what point. you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> right off what you're saying is perfect. Yeah, yeah. Is um, we we spent a lot of time talking about Ryan Gosling's character, even. Um, Russell Crowe's character is Mm -hmm. so well motivated. You get a fully realized person in the movie out of him from the writing, because once again, you get this quick little witty intro where he's doing the narration of like, Hey, you know, I grew up and, you know, just a funny Irish kid, things like that. And, you know, we get the introduction of him um, throwing all the peanuts and like whatever he's chewing on into the car of the guy, the guy's clearly been picking up uh, underage girls and he's got one there. And clearly he's working for the underage girl's parents because he goes, you like to mess with little girls, knocks him out right there in front of his house and just keeps it moving. Well,
1: and so it's just like, a... and then once again, just like with the, the Gosling part, there is a, it's quickly followed by a subversion. You see him do that. And we're like, Oh, he's this big guy. He's kind of a protect, uh, almost a protective figure because we see this, you know, yeah. and he's like, fuck you. We're like, okay, cool. And then not just anyone further, can get behind. Right. Not much later. The, yep. Go he ahead. T- like, he starts talking to uh Margaret Qualley whose name is amelia uh yep. mm-hmm. and she's giving she's scared and we're like oh good he's helping her and then you're short i'm sorry seven dollars by m- the way $7, I yeah. remember that line. You're and <laughs> yeah. we're like, oh okay no he's just here for the money
0: yeah.
2: yes it's business baby i love it and then and then we get the great scene uh later on after he um oh i don't even want to skip over it because i love every facet of it so never mind we finally get him on a one-way track to meet Ryan Gosling's character, mm-hmm. and we great, We get such a great – once again, I'm going to borrow your word, like subversion of the expectation because you would think the roles would be reversed. The low-life guy who just gets paid to beat people up shouldn't be the more honorable, <laughs> the more trustworthy, the more consistent character. It should be the P.I. guy, <laughs> man. We're You know, like he's always on the up and up. He always knows what's going on. No, he doesn't. He gets his (laughs) ass handed to him the whole time. And he immediately gives up his So You just gave up your client. He's like, well, you asked. (laughs) You made a very convincing argument. And he's like, you're not supposed to do that. He's like, well, I made a discretionary decision. Okay. And he immediately tries to get the gun out of the cookie jar. And he smacks him. And it immediately doesn't work. (laughs) Yes. And then he's so smart and articulate the way he tells him he's going to break his arm. It's so fantastic. That is amazing so and now it's so,
0: you, like polite to like as polite yeah. as you can go into someone's house and break their arm exactly it and feels it, very just business at the forefront
1: and yet after in a weird all way that when you you see how capable russell crowe is and how you know yes. inept uh ryan gosling is still russell crowe ends up having to go to ryan gosling for help which is one of the best scenes this is the oh my god see look
2: i'm skipping ahead because yeah right, when they're at the bowling alley up, when he beats him up <laughs> And then the bowling alley thing, and he comes back with a bunch, of, or I'm sorry, before the bowling alley is, he's going back to his apartment, he's got a big ass thing at yoo and I've never been so excited <laughs> by that visual. I was like, oh man, he loves you hoo everybody loves you. And I've never seen Shane Black shit all over his audience's expectations, when the bad guys show up, and he literally has to drop the whole thing, <laughs> and break oh, all yeah. the Yoo-Hoo, and you're just like, no. What the
0: I fuck? was sad in that scene, that scene made me sad, when that's the guy started saying. throwing like, the was, fish around, I'm like, dude, come on. That's what I'm saying. What did the it's fish do? And yeah.
2: then the fish yeah and then that guy was such an asshole and once again we get more of like what he is um his character and then obviously before everything like, god i keep forgetting because i want to go back and reveal like little character beats that he installs is when he does the word of the day equanimity and oh, there's yeah. the flashback of i'm fucking your dad
1: oh my god <laughs> oh it's
2: so once again we get enough of like He's so honored, with does this? But clearly, right. you know, it's for a reason. You know, he's even he really got nobody because, yeah, it's kind of a mess up, and so you just don't really trust a whole lot of people after that.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I mean that's, but that's again to uh, to kind of go back to inherent vice go between ahead. them, like how that introduces a character. Like if that was a scene in Inherent Vice, it would be a half an hour.
2: <laughs> oh my god! Hey,
0: weird backstory, so and like here it's just character. I'm fucking your dad. <laughs> and then water spit out and that's all that we need. Okay. That's why this guy's kind of a Groucho.
1: Yep. But That right there. That's actually so, I'm so glad you said that because I would like to cut in here for a moment to sort of, mm-hmm. uh, dig through everything that will has been saying over the past five, 10 minutes. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's been a where long. you're talking about shane black who is this great writer and he was writing with real purpose and i always i really genuinely always forget that he had anything to do with lethal weapon or any of these movies he came into my life when i was a kid and kiss kiss bang bang first came out and mm-hmm. i okay, fell yeah. in love with him. that was like my favorite movie when i was i don't know like 11 12 whatever when i first saw it and of yeah. course i'd ever seen robert downey jr i didn't know who any of these people were and i just thought it was amazing so for me That's like Shane Black's first movie because that was my first movie. So my brain always says that. So I always forget that he really does have this long uh, sort of history in Hollywood and as a writer. And he has honed so well, like you said, his ability to craft scripts, to craft characters, to uh, write in this great pacing. He is a fantastic uh, film writer. And this Mm -hmm. is what causes one of the first real like gratings between the two movies is that Mm -hmm. Shane Black writes the nice guys. And so- However, inherent vice comes from Thomas Pynchon, who is known for completely, uh, I don't even want to say abandoning, because it was was never there, traditional writing structure. Going back to his first books back in the 60s, he more or less invented postmodern literature, which was completely about eschewing the way that story structure works, the way that character structure works, the way that people talk and communicate with one another it's how it's how you get to the don DeLillos and the david lynch's of the world so right there right off the just before we even get cameras or actors you have these two scripts and one is tight as tight can be it is funny it is snappy it is fast mm-hmm. and the other is for better or worse a thomas Pynchon adaptation and it is brilliantly brought over from pt anderson who himself um is I think an absolutely incredible writer. I think he is one of the best screenwriters, but he is idiosyncratic and he himself can be long-winded. Magnolia is, I think, seven hours long. Uh, Yes, you can.
2: (laughs) I was going to say, Blake, I only want to interrupt you for this. And then I want you to keep going. Is that you're absolutely right in the fact that P.T. Anderson, any given time, his style of slowing things down and giving characters more room to breathe in scenes Has always been what makes him one of the most talented directors ever. Literally, every other film he's ever made, like, is just like this. They're slow and they take their time, and they are very rarely, except for Punch Drug Love, I think, are shorter than two hours, which is fine because that's been his style since forever, and it's always been engaging for me. Like I've never had that problem. But when you get to the noir, the neo noir style of the detective story, you kind of need to kind of a slower
0: right that's the that style thing, you're putting of putting a
1: person adapting an even slower person adapting an already incredibly slow genre correct right. it's it's layers upon layers and that's what
0: i mean you're basically a new jersey dmv at that point and you've got
1: to be able
2: to get through so much plot and exposition <laughs> you and do. illustrate that to the audience otherwise they're going to lose interest and they're going to forget what the hell the detective and, even they, to and they, i mean and people
0: do lose interest. i felt like i did exactly I was... There were like little tiny bits that I would kind of cling on to, and like I was, I was uh, talking with Blake about this earlier. But it's, it's like it feels like Inherent Vice is a rock face with so many things happening that there's no like real bits to grab onto throughout the different scenes. And when the weird stuff would happen, like there was a bit where, um, when he's having coffee with that one lady, and then he just like starts shouting randomly. And then they oh don't my God, address it a picture
2: of her baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, was that, that what it was really was?
2: funny. He sh- she showed her a picture of her baby when it was literally a it's crack de- baby or a heroin baby, hair, and yeah. it
1: freaked him out. So he yelled really quick, and he was like, ah, And there's look. those weird vaudeville yeah. elements that come in these. Yeah, it did feel very vaudeville, very
0: Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. In the middle of this scene, and then it's like they don't address that at all, or she's not like, "Oh, you don't like my baby? Great." <laughs> like there were no was- weird vibes from that. It was like it didn't happen. Yep. like that was that. a weird because in this world, uh,
1: people talk to each other and they communicate with each other in a a totally different way than they do in real life, and that's something that serves the nice guys well. Is again, like we said, it's it's more based in modern comedy, and so they're talking to each other mm. in a way that we can really relate to. And inherent vice, there's a lot of li- like, um, it basically. Oh, I want to I want to get back back to this, but we'll we'll skip the 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 what I call the prologue first, the before you get mm-hmm. see inherent vice, and then right afterwards we kind of follow Doc. And it's that point where he's having um, coffee with his friend, and the waiter comes over, and oh, what does he say? Because it's so, oh, it's so weird. Hold on, one second. One she's like, to "You're remember. gonna
0: gonna wait, gonna you're gonna want to get nice and fucked up before this meal,
1: even before like it is super early on." But you it's can, that scene. No, it's, it's not even that. This is in the first like okay. ten minutes of the movie, but it's so short that understandably you don't really remember it. But he comes over and – now I'm even having trouble remembering. Yeah, (laughs) I don't remember it. But the the waiter offers this piece of sort of prescient advice where he says, so-and-so isn't happening today, but you know what? Maybe that's just because it doesn't happen today and it's just going to happen like tomorrow, which, oh, I guess that would be uh, today. And then whatever it is he – oh, it was uh, being visited by Bjornsen. That's what it was. He said, I wonder why Bjornsen didn't come kick in my door. Like he usually, as he goes, oh well, maybe oh, it right, was right. in that day, but maybe it'll be like today. And then, sure enough, that's when he will end up right into him. So it's these weird people have these, yeah. these ESP almost abilities, which is another thing they they touch on of these heroin addicts and these hippies with these they ESP powers.
2: It, yeah, they literally call it what is it? Doper ESP. Yes, thank yeah. you.
1: Well, one it thing... literally
2: happens later on in the movie and like closer to the end when he. Literally, has he hears his friend's voice in his head saying "Doper ESP Doc Doper ESP"? Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> okay.
1: And it's moments <laughs> right, like that. That's why I love so much about this is that it allows itself to com- more or less remove the majority of itself from mm-hmm. reality, and so it, it sticks itself in this very weird place that is all based on mood and emotion and feeling, and so that's why when you first watch it there's so there's so much a information to take in because again it's an information heavy genre thomas Pynchon, his books are a lot of them are very very long and they are just shock they are so dense and and then again like we said pt anderson is great at these slowed down looks at it and when you put all that together you do get these very how many scenes is just the camera kind of moves in a little bit for the first like two minutes, then stops, and there's like a 10 minute conversation of just like one take? It, yep. It's like the the scene from Magnolia yep. where, um, oh, uh, what's his face? Philip Baker Hall is giving that speech about his daughter, and it is the it's like an 11 minute nonstop just monologue, and that was like a big deal, like, oh wow, that was so cool. And like, that's almost every scene in this movie is just these long. Yeah. long packed oh filled with esoteric information only half of which is actually usually relevant to the plot and there's the big difference is shane black wrote out a real plot he had a movie and he had an idea he wanted to subvert the tropes of the noir he wanted to work in another california noir like he did with kiss kiss bang bang he wanted so to make Christmas a comedy exactly Christmas. of always
2: Shane black is always dealing like really if they would have just
0: though
1: sorry Whereas Pynchon wants to – and we're definitely going to be getting more and more into this. and Will, I know you and I were talking about this earlier, but he wants to delve into the dark period that came 69, 70, 71, that area. Mm -hmm. Blake,
2: let's just just go there because I'm going to actually – I know it off the top of my head. Let's just list the number of contextual elements that have to do with this plot that don't have to do with this plot. And what I mean is – What does that even mean? See, that's what I mean. All right, so – you get a mention of the fbi cointel pro um the black panthers you get a mention mm-hmm. of um gentrification having to do with real estate developers um you have uh nazis we always have to throw in the um the neo nazis yeah. Um, you get a mention of the hippie craze, um, the the paranoia surrounding hippie culture, um, the overuse of um, what would soon lead into the war on drugs. Because remember, this happens in the 70s. And then we get the Reagan era later on in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So you have Paul Thomas Anderson building up the paranoia around people doing so many drugs. And this is immortalized in a scene that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. I don't know why he did it um, other than to make this point of the, the drug paranoia with um, Martin Short. Being the weird dentist doctor who's also um, once again doing questionable things with underage girls, um, (laughs) and they get drunk and super coked up and go on a drug binge, and then like the cop is super scared and he mentions who but all else. Uh, Oh well, it's the Manson thing that's going on right now. You know, the five people, five groups of five, and whatever. Which I'm sorry, um, interrupt, I
1: just want to say because there are so few times of real big comedy, how much I love that scene when they're in the car and Martin Schwartz, you know, talking or whatever, and the lights kind of go on in the back, and he just, like, oh,
0: fuck! Just, like, so yeah, yeah. So
1: and screaming. It, And, it's, right. so screaming, and <laughs>
2: it's so funny. Like, last thing, I promise. This is the very last thing that Paul Thomas has. He clearly <laughs> felt like he needed to address and get into the, the, you know, I guess you'd call mural of whatever, this movie. He also wanted to throw in the um, drug um, addiction, I guess, like, evil cycle that you know it has been a conspiracy theory for for decades that like rich white people are bringing drugs into low-income communities Mm -hmm. and then funding the um, programs that are treating um, people that get addicted to drugs only to funnel everything back into the community once again drug-wise and things like that like that immortalized when he actually finds eric roberts which was a rich white guy who was looking like he was giving money to cherry but not really He's just making all his friends rich off of being with this Oh, oh, tax evasion yeah. cults but i want to pause right Wait, there is that, that what
0: happened in the movie
2: that's one of my favorites honestly i don't
0: remember
1: that <laughs> yes. so you had it's so much dude there's so there much so, and that's why i say it needs re-watching but that's one of my favorite elements is you have eric roberts a plain mickey wolfman he is this real estate developer he is this big deal he is and he is the we see it early on um sort of engaging in the gentrification of these areas he's knocking down these people's houses and stuff like that but then um the and you know the whole mystery with that blah blah blah. fast forward you get the news that he was planning on on going back on all that he was going to open this place out in the desert to give free housing to and and comfort to everyone and it was going to be called the sorry about that in spanish which i now don't correct or lo siento something yep um yeah, and so i thought Spanish. that was brilliant because it's this weird idea of this like reparations to the community however he doesn't get to do that because he is kidnapped and brainwashed by the fbi Correct. just like they and that's did what I mean. the actor
2: yes hmm. and that's what i mean it's like you and i can't stress this enough to anyone who's listening i started noticing that subplot on the third time of trying to make it through this movie yep. do you see what i'm saying people it, it's, like, it's, it's, it's very so difficult deep into the plot late in the movie that this all becomes like revealed, not even relevant, just given to you.
1: <laughs> and there are so many right. other plot lines going on. And again, like, uh, and we were talking about this a little bit uh, earlier, just you and I, um, but that's one of the things that I love so much about it is that it's not an actual true to form exploration or deep dive into these conspiracies and these government programs. It's not a Costa nope. Garvis film. It's not an Oliver Stone film. It is at its heart. It's just about these characters, these people, just like any other Paul Thomas Anderson movie is. So you see all these, uh, you know, the circuitry in the sky. You see all of these conspiracies and these elements and you don't know where any of them lead because you can't follow any of them long enough before it leads you to something else. And little ones get wrapped up here and there, but, um, you know, spoilers abound. What I love so much is you get all this, but at the end, Doc brokers all of it just to get Owen Wilson's life back, like none of it really. You're not going to stop the Golden Fang. You're not going to stop the FBI. You're not going to stop this. But you know what I can do? I can get this guy back with his kid, and maybe I can go see Shasta. Like that's all it ends up coming down to. Which I find like the ultimate kind of noir subversion is that there is no winning. There is no coming out of this, and because there there wasn't really ever a game so much to begin with, because it's just a bunch of people playing their own private games with each other.
2: Correct, mundo. and that's the thing it's like you know this movie has a plotting of only it's not as wacky or as fun and it's not directed by tim burton Wee's big adventure <laughs> like,
0: oh what a comparison you,
2: you get you get literally like an introduction a mild introduction to the main character's sort of love interest who doesn't become relevant until the end of the movie kind of <laughs> and then you get the annoying character who's always coming in usually this guy has got some issues and he likes to yell at people ollie uh, ie whatever the one the guy, guy that takes-
0: steals his bike yeah, and, those giant- like pee-wee
2: and like, <laughs> and like that's Josh Brolin in this movie. Only Josh Brolin is clearly having fun and is making the most of it, and he's fun to watch. Him and yeah, Joaquin like an actual
0: authority figure.
2: Yeah, him and Joaquin in particular. Every time they were anywhere, that's just together.
0: some rich douchey kid. And
2: you get to watch Josh Brolin eat weed basically that, from, like, I, love,
1: I love that scene Wait I First thought there was a chocolate covered banana It goes on forever It <laughs> oh, a lot of things at the oh, end when he kicks yeah, yeah, the, Oxford, at the end the look Which, on walking phoenix's face it, it was just like the perfect sort of ending to, I know it goes a little bit further than that but when he's just looking up at him there's tears streaming down his face and it's just like that's what most people, when they if they get to this point in the movie, are probably just feeling and look like, like what
2: the fuck is going on yeah. exactly. you forgetting what also induces that feeling. The reaction from the audience is what Joaquin Phoenix fucking says, and then like he goes, "You're right there, brother." He's like, and then <laughs> yeah. Bradshaw Brolin, "I'm not your brother." And then he goes, "Yeah, but you might need a keeper." And I'm like, "What?
1: Yeah. <laughs> what? What?" That's that. I was is, like, okay, no. this is
0: the... Uh, that's a it was like that's a that's an interesting interaction.
1: And that and that's the thing. That is the pinching. That is the the postmodernist way of communicating, there are these weird, these like taglines and these half jokes and this ridiculous way of speaking to get to these deeper truths that you sometimes find or sometimes don't, because they sometimes exist and they sometimes don't. Uh Jenna Malone who played the Owen Wilson's wife with the like fake teeth. She had a great saying about uh, the production, like being on set that um, it was just total kind of like free for all people were sort of having to make up on the spot, what they were doing for characters. She said, the logic becomes the chaos and the chaos becomes the logic. And I felt like that really summed up so much of how the movie felt that there was no figuring out, what mattered what didn't matter what was real what wasn't real why these characters were doing some things they were doing i
2: mean a whole thing involving reese witherspoon's character like his supposedly like side chick at the da's office her coming over having pizza with him that meaning nothing except for the fact that we get something that we could literally had him passing on the street watching a tv or something but instead we needed a whole introductory scene for her just to get her in his apartment eating pizza for him to see owen wilson's character on tv and Put this little subplot of him being stuck as like a mole. Like we didn't need so much just to get one facet of information to move the plot along. We did we not thing. though. Well,
1: did we not? <laughs> but that's yeah, right? what makes the movie different, and that's what makes it better to me than the Nice Guys. And so I'll, I'll put a pin right here for a second so that I can mm-hmm. say if anybody, if any, just like normal Joe off the street asks me, "Hey, should I watch The Nice Guys tonight or Inherent advice I would put my hand down and say, nice guys. No, no question. Please move Like, I can't really recommend this movie to people unless I know that they are somewhat primed for it. Like, I...
0: Gotta have a fucking map and a decoder ring to get through this.
1: (laughs) But but if you do, if it is something you like, then it is something that you can cherish so much. Like, I don't make everybody listen to My Bloody Valentine's Loveless album. Because I know most people aren't going to connect with it. And that's fine. You don't have to. But when I know somebody will, I really want to try and get them. Because if you can lock into some of these weird things like that, it can just bring you so much that nothing else. There is no other movie quite like Inherent Vice. And it is not a perfect movie. It's not always completely entertaining. It has its issues. And that is part Mm -hmm. of what makes it so wonderful and weird. Sort of like, um, who's the guy that wrote Kids? And directed Gumbo. Harmony um, uh, Cream. It's sort like Harmony Cream movies. They are imperfect. They have all these weird elements to it. They don't click for everybody, but if they click for you, then there's nothing else like that. that you right.
2: just said something really good that reminds me of a like my favorite Roger Ebert quote ever. Um, Roger Ebert, for most who don't know, was a very famous uh, film critic for years. Him and um, Siskel, they had Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs up thing. If you've ever read it on the old DVD or VHS case, um, case that's what it was from. Okay. So, Roger Ebert has this great thing that he says, Um, I, f- I forget what review he's putting it in, but it was so fantastic. It stuck in my head. He goes. Most films are made for everyone. This film was made for me, and that's just fine.
1: I like that. Okay. And yeah. I
2: love. I loved what he said because every time I hear you talk about Paul Thomas Anderson movie and your defense of Inherent Vice in particular, I've always that's what sticks out to me. It's like I do appreciate the fact that you just go, yeah, well, you know, I know it's not for everyone. I wouldn't even recommend someone to watch it. <laughs> I really <laughs> like this weirdness. I like the fact that it's weird, and so I, I can sympathize with it because that's how I've always felt about. Um, my guilty pleasures like i i tell people all the time certain movies that are like I, mean, I understand they're complete garbage but like i just love watching them sometimes man it's my thing so like well, th- I, th- I, th- get, for I like
1: how much we were talking in, like years actually probably ago. we were talking about how much we love ichi the killer can you really imagine the majority of people loving something like ichi the killer
2: first two minutes um literally the uh title of the movie comes up in a dude's in um inside of a dude's uh jizz his ejaculation yeah. and that was brilliant time.
1: when I saw it happen right. I went this is fucking genius and I don't think that'd be the normal reaction.
2: <laughs> I heart Takeshi Miike I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> his movies are weird. He is and fantastic. He's so, he's amazing. He's an artist and he's one of the most prolific directors ever. He's <laughs> anyway to
0: kind five. of bring it back to uh to inherent vice <laughs> right. um, yeah. so upon like the first watching of this it was like a little bit of the way through I think um I think even in the opening scene I was like this it felt to me like an indie film version of the Big Lebowski if it was trying to be like amalgamated with a with a David Lynch film but it <laughs> yep. wasn't trying to look like it was trying to trying to uh, be one of those things you know no. like it was trying to be one of those things without people noticing that it was going for that in a weird weird way
1: anderson actually said he that like he knew going in that there are inextricable Mm -hmm. um similarities between the big lebowski and the book inherent vice it's just you have a stoner detective in california Mm -hmm. surrounded by conspiracies there's nothing you can do so he said he actively had to put it out of his mind because otherwise he would go crazy trying to find ways to make it not be like that he said that he would never get it done so he had to just the big lebowski exists people will compare them that's fine i don't care let's move on and I always that found that true. I found that interesting.
0: That is interesting. Yeah, that is actually a really good, um, even like go. I was trying to not, to not do that too, but, but you, even you going in, I'm like, it, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they, See, they feel like such different movies cause the Coen brothers oh, and certainly. Anderson and Pynchon are so such as different artists, but yeah. And that's part, you know, the big Lebowski is part of the California noir, uh, mm-hmm. whatever canon where you have the long goodbye and Chinatown Kind of a Chinese bookie. And and actually, I want to get this for one second because there's a connection I want to make. Jackie Brown, which is another time you have this incredible auteur adapting somebody else's work and it not 100. turning out yep. perfect.
2: Yep, mm-hmm. correct. And actually, I wanted to actually get into that because this is a good way to kind of bring things back to the nice guys. I think we've given inherent advice <laughs> a <little> <laughs> today. <Yeah. laughs> I want to move to the nice guys, which is this. Let's it's that. funny that you both pointed out that this is literally – Something that we've seen before, and it almost feels too familiar in aspects, and you even pointed out that the director himself had to be like, okay, well, you know, I, I know it's going to be compared to The Big Lebowski, but I'm just going to go ahead and push it out of my head so I can make the film I want to see, regardless of the comparison.
0: For that the are nice guys or inevitable. inherent vice?
2: No, inherent vice, because now the nice guys, you have a very prototypical buddy cop formula that Mm -hmm. is being addressed Mm -hmm. and even used with one character being the other character's foil and they move through a series of mysteries to you know finally figure out everything to stop the bad guys we've seen that before but once again what we're seeing is that still somehow you can't compare it to everything else and that comes from what we spent uh the better half of like literally a third of this podcast talking about which were Russell Crowe's and Ryan Gosling's characters that they were given, they are so wholly realized and original in and of themselves that that is what makes the film so different. Even though the formula may be typical, literally even with a third act reveal of a new villain who's clearly an assassin and something the guys will have to team up to stop, even though that doesn't eventually work out like that. But still like there are literal beats that the movie hits that are familiar, but yet it's so original and there hasn't been anything anyone's compared to other than drum roll. Shane black's other work which is like <laughs> no. we can't count that so much as a negative just like we don't say martin scorsese stop directing all these gangster movies no <laughs> like, like, you like you clearly have a niche inside the genre please keep perfecting your yeah. craft we don't oh and that's like their that. voice yeah. right and so that's is shane black doing shane black shit and so it's fantastic to see a guy who's literally almost set the groundwork for what anybody else would want to enter the genre in, mm-hmm. which is the buddy cop kind of detective thriller. Oh, so he's going, I mean, this I wrote this book. I'm going to go ahead and write new rules. It's kind of like, you know, seeing yeah. Wes Craven make Scream. Like, it's right. fucking really, <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: That's true. That's so, true.
2: So that's that's the only thing I want to touch on. It's funny that you guys were saying that about Heron Vice*, and this is how I've always felt about the nice guys, is this is literally <laughs> – Fantastic character work inside of something formula. And that's that's what's so brilliant. Is even though it's got great character work inside of it, really well rounded relationships. Um, perfect example is you guys brought up um Ryan gosling's daughter. Um mm. her relationship with Russell Crowe is is so so almost sweet
0: inside I of feel a movie like she so almost amazing. makes Violet. the movie, honestly. Yeah. Like her getting into all these weird situations and like trying to play like junior detective. Exactly. You know how you to always find think, the girl.
2: Yeah, and Zach, you know how you always—you're such a stickler for like tone and how mm-hmm. a movie juggles tone. Literally, the theme that is established through her and uh, Russell Crowe—if for people who don't know, like he is—he doesn't give a fuck about killing people. He doesn't care. It's literally been his job at sometimes. So like when he has to kill this bad guy, he does it like nobody's business, and that really upsets the girl because she knows he lied. You know, there's a scene where the guy's dying on the street and he kills him, and it's really violent. It's like, oh damn, it's a little dark, but that's who he is. You know, he's not a nice guy, even though. Yeah, it's
0: and totally then he nice lies guy. to her about she believes him. She's like, good, I'm glad that you didn't. I knew you couldn't kill him.
2: Right. And so and then, then as an audience, we're, end.
0: End. we're all just, oh, right.
2: And then so that comes up at the end, Zach, you brought it up earlier in our discussion is the scene where she goes, you better not. Ki- if you don't kill him, I'll never talk to you again or I'll never speak to you again. And he turns to the bad guy and goes, congratulations, you, <laughs> you owe your life to a 13 year old girl. And then he knocks him out and he doesn't kill him. And so you get something that is such a little sweet little bit that should be kind of out of place in such a darkly comedic movie where literally we have a line where a kid goes, I wanted to get in the movie. And I asked him if you good. want to see my dick.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and like, it's just like this see my dick? It's so out of place. And so this movie's got so much going on.
0: When but the, uh... all of
2: the of one coherent story, yeah. nothing really
0: when you the out. guy when the guy was like yeah i'm kind of in the i'm kind of in the business too you know? go, yeah what do you do <laughs> uh, projectionist
1: no no i believe he says projectionalist <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh <probably>. yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay i mean technically not wrong but oh, yeah
1: <laughs> and it's like the
2: best scene ever the best scene ever is when they are going up in the elevator, mm-hmm. into like this. This been this whole thing oh, of trying yes, to figure out where yes. the bad guys are meeting at the like near the airport, and they're going up the elevator. They step out, they hear people dying, getting shot. Yeah. down <laughs> <this laughs> they the elevator, and we're gonna have an action sequence where they're gonna bust in and have a shootout with the bad guys. No, they step one, look out, step back in that bitch, hit down. So Don't honest
0: work. is what it is. It's just honest. Like <laughs> I love
1: it. They're, it's they're just private like...
0: detectives. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's just like what uh, Will has been saying this whole time about how this is Shane Black sort of – he's retrotting his his old ground, but he wants to make fun of himself a little bit. He wants to be a little bit self-ironic. So – as opposed to having like the lethal weapons detectives where they'll go in guns blazing do whatever you have again this buddy cop in quotations thing and like you said they see dangerous eh. let's <laughs> <laughs> well, let's well, not they're, they're terrible they're losing their guns constantly they're, they're bickering. Right. Remember, right yeah
2: that guys falling out of the window behind them they literally look like oh fuck <laughs> no.
1: yeah Get out of
0: here. which which is probably a more genuine response that a normal person would have yes. than what you normally see in movies where mm-hmm. people are like we're in an action movie action happens every day sunglasses on explosion <laughs> off yes yeah stuff like that I'll and get we're getting that a lot in these cop movies now like even with like 21 jump an street idea, exactly. and uh the <laughs> yeah, exactly. other guys where oh go ahead. this is kind of this is kind of becoming the the new norm for these like cop noir comedy mystery movies where they do lose their guns, explosions do knock them over, and all of that, all of all
1: of that. This reaction, to all of the classic this, action tropes that have become yeah old. The habitable. guns
0: are really loud, and it hurts our ears when we shoot them. But yeah, guns are freaking loud. It's
2: so, so loud. Nice. Like so just to give you an idea of how much he's making fun of himself, he wrote in Lethal Weapon, the first one, mm-hmm. the big showdown in the third act where Riggs is shooting this big rifle from a distance, sniping out bad guys that are all parked in front of uh, Danny Glover's character. And, like, they get captured, and then, you know, um, Mel Gibson's character gets tortured, and, like, it's this big badass. Like you said, the, ba- the good guys are rushing and outnumbered, and they're not afraid to get their asses handed to him because they're going to get up with blood all over them and, you know, beat the bad guys up mm-hmm. and do whatever. And just, like... To hear you talk about it, like, exactly is the point. Like, this is Shane Black literally making fun of shit that he knows he's done before a year prior. It's fantastic, dude. I mean, that's the
0: mark of a good artist. If you can be like, yeah, this is these are things before. But just how much the movie does, like, subvert your expectations. We've been talking about that a lot. But it does. Like, after the coffee thing, I watched this movie, like, four years ago. I didn't remember too much of it. But it so it felt like watching a whole new movie again. And then just... Really enjoying it because th- I do remember watching, um, what was it, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang roughly around the same time. So there were bits of both that I yeah. wasn't sure, like, which was from which. But these <laughs> noir movies, it's like a bunch of weird sequences of them like going to places, and then you're not sure, like, what is what. But <laughs> <laughs> like anyway, the, in the car,
2: Ryan Gosling hallucinates the, the, <laughs> the oh, B, yeah. right.
0: and then at the end of the movie, there's the B, and he's freaking out.
2: <laughs> he's freaking out, but then the best part is, remember? The, literally, it pays off. It's so great because mm-hmm. he imagines um, that Russell Crowe has a gun. On his ankle, yeah. The villain, one of the side villains, or whatever. Um, the the one I'd probably say that's the main
0: villain. Well, one of the main villains.
2: She's like, she's literally got the guns on him, and like, he's got a crush on her, which is funny in and of itself. But he drops down and reaches (laughs) in. What are you doing? What are you doing? i I was asking him, what are you doing? He goes, "What? You didn't bring the gun?" He goes, "What gun? you had on your, your ankle? You said you had it in the car." He goes, "No, I didn't. Get up." And it's like,
0: oh my god. Dude. But even even going back to like the coffee bit again where yeah. you have your expectations subverted, like you think she's going to burn her face, she's gonna fall <laughs> on the ground, she doesn't. And then she's like, Oh haha ha, you're all you're all dead now. And then you're like, Well, that was funny. And yes. then she slips on the coffee and knocks herself out. Oh, and
2: brilliant it's dude. just
0: it's it's just immediately flipping you and then flipping you right back sorry
2: he flips over the car in the middle of a shootout that is on a rotating stage which means Mm -hmm. he flips over it and (laughs) the bad He's like ah he does this little girl scream which is so great (laughs) kills that scream and freaks out and runs back over to russell crowe and it's so great because Previously, he had fallen off the ceiling, or I'm sorry, off the mm-hmm. roof of the the hotel, not knowing if he was going to live or die.
0: Oh, and right, then right, right, right. Bottom
2: of the pool. No, this is the first time he fell in a pool. I think is he sees Ronald Reagan, whatever a guy in a Reagan oh, mask,
0: no. or no, Wait, who was it? Jimmy no, there Masters. was Richard Nixon, Nixon. under Richard the water. That's right. Which is yeah. so
2: funny, and he's getting out, and then he goes.
0: Yeah, I wasn't sure road. if that was real or if he was tripping or what. He's
2: tripping? No, he's tripping. He's okay. He's,
0: He's but tripping ball. in the middle of like a gunfight and stuff, yeah,
2: exactly. Okay,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was Could like have. the one thing where I was like, What, what, but why? But also, I don't care, I always love a weird Nixon reference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's one <laughs> of those things where it's like, if you have a weird Nixon reference in a movie, I'll always just give it you're a You're now the
2: right new now. Leo, you're now the new Leo DiCaprio meme where it's him pointing at the screen from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that's you. <laughs> it's like, Nixon reference every time you watch a movie now. Oh, look, Nixon, Nixon reference
1: every time <laughs> oh,
2: yeah.
0: I, I, think, uh, I think it is worth noticing or noting too the opening sequences in both of these movies
1: yes please can we discuss that how
0: yeah like so in inherent vice you have this what feels like a long time of <laughs> this mysterious woman coming up to him and being like hey doc i need help or whatever or
1: what love, i love if i could speak on that for just a second is that yeah. to me because i as we all know, it's a, it's a big, dense, long film. And what I love is that I feel the first time you watch it, you don't realize that it's doing that. But that whole scene feels like such this weird, interesting prologue that sets itself mm-hmm. up for it. It's very soft and easy. It kind of drops you in and then you just get this long form conversation. You kind of start getting some of the information and you kind of start sensing how you're going to be Difficult to hold on to it, especially with Joaquin Phoenix mumbling the entire way yeah, through. Definitely, yes. that you're going and to
0: have to work to get through this movie right. vibe from that. Let's you
2: know. let's go a step further and once again repeat, you guys. If you're not paying attention, if you miss one thing, that um, I forget the love interest's name in the movie
1: Shasta, uh, Shasta, Shasta, Shasta,
2: yeah, whatever Shasta's saying to him is literally the the star of the plot. She gives him um, our got mogul guy who's you know bought whatever yeah whatever guy mikey um mickey wolfman
1: Wolfman,
2: Wolfman. 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 and it's like she literally sends him down the path Um, towards like what is going to you know incite the plot to move forward kind of sort of if we can call it that and you have to pay attention because if you don't if you miss one line of dialogue i promise you you're gonna be like I don't and there's know.
0: a lot of lines of dialogue here. There,
2: there, yeah, there are a lot. But you know what I mean? Like, if you miss something, you're not going to know what he's doing from then on. You literally have to think. Like, I can't imagine being in a the theater going, "Wait a minute, what is she, What does she tell him to investigate?" Is he? I was watching
0: the trailer the for played? the film, like. <laughs> Ten minutes before we started this podcast, and there were sequences in the trailer where it's like, "When did that happen in the movie?"
1: <laughs> oh my god, Zach! But that's that, yeah. right there. That's part of the thing is that yes, if you can pay attention and you can, fo- if you are a genius and you're watching, it and you're following it the whole way through, mm-hmm. you can kind of figure out what's going on. But the majority of people, I think, all of us here, the first time you watch it, you're not going to. Even if you miss some of what Shaw says, even if you miss some of the plot. You're not really going to miss on anything because you were going to lose all of that halfway through, anyways. When they in- reintroduce exactly, yeah. it's so like much other next stuff, that's oh. what made my second watch of it so much better. Is because I put it out. I was like, I'm not. I don't want to know. I'm not going to figure out the plot. That's the the plot is secondary to everything else going on. And when I watched it with that, that kind of opened me up and made me get the plot a little bit better because it was so much easier to lose track of the elements that weren't as important. And the the main hmm. thing actually does shine through and they do keep bringing up the important points here and there to keep you on but like just like you were saying i love that it's this propulsion she gives you the the clue she walks on this guy who's just he's there chilling just woke up from a nap and kind of drops what doesn't feel like a huge bomb but ends up being a huge bomb and he walks her outside and it's this following shot she drives away and he's kind of holding onto the car because he just you know he wants his old lady back and kind of drives off and then Boom. Cans vitamin C kicks in. The inherent vice logo kicks in. And it's like, oh, the movie is starting now. That was this perfect little introduction. And now we're just going to watch him walk and go figure out where he's going to go from here.
2: Okay, let's just go ahead and point out, though, that she doesn't show up again till later on in the movie, where we don't even know if she actually visited him. And there's like a weird sex scene where he spanks her a few times <laughs> before he goes on the couch. Okay, so that was her.
0: Okay, It's yeah. hard to keep all the characters. Straight.
2: Yeah, so she's wearing a necklace. Pay attention to it because it's the same necklace apparently the Nazi's wearing in the next scene, the Nazi that he kills. So it's like insinuated that, I don't know, uh, what, if he has prominence. Oh, prominent- that Nazi. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't like, know if like he's got like he in. predict the future in a hallucination with her or not. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what's like real and
0: what's not. Like him, when she's in the uh, car with him, is that supposed to be a hallucination girl?
2: And every time he sees Josh Brolin's character in, the, in a TV commercial, okay, that's okay. Which that was
1: perfect because that played into what I thought was really the the meat of the subtext, which was all about interlopers and the co-opting of subversive elements and the co-opting of the underground which is exactly what Bigfoot Bjornsson was he was this civil rights violation cop that just like to beat up hippies he but he would. He wanted to be an actor yeah he, he was open about it. he wanted to be an actor and he would put on the fake hippie wig and say all the dumb catchphrases and that was the funny way of showing uh, that they then got more serious about when they were showing like oh the fbi is putting interlopers in here and oh this this was a band at one point now it's becoming this weird cult and oh here's this health facility but it's actually run by these dentists importing heroin and it's all right. and it all becomes this taking of what is the underground? What is the uprising? And commercializing it, co-opting it, taking it for the government and the private exactly. sector, and that's what led to the '70s. And then that's where the Nice Guy starts out, and everybody's like, "You want to see my dick? I'm 13." It's this loss of innocence yeah. that occurred with the death of the hippie dream. Wow.
0: So Dude, we these actually these two talk- movies feel a lot more connected. now. <laughs> we
2: broke down that opening sequence for Inherent Vice. the The opening sequence for the Nice Guys starts oh God, off it's- with a very quiet scene. <laughs> a very- no dialogue so very- at all. There's no dialogue until we get, um, and I'll break it down for the audience here, the introduction of a house, once again, looks like it's like, I don't know why. but house maybe on Hollywood Hill. Yeah, Hollywood Hill, and we get um, the kid from Iron Man 3, a little bit older. He, oh, wait, was He's that up, him? his parents are in bed. Yeah, it's the same kid. Um, oh, no, no. And um, he's just up in his kitchen, and a car crashes through the house. And goes into like the lower hills below and it's literally burning and trees are knocked over and there's it doesn't a woman crash, naked.
0: It drives through that house. It goes in yeah. one out it goes You're in right. one side, out the other. Just She's fly.
2: dying she's dying against this tree in the same pose that she was in this kid's poster in his room. And it's crazy because she asked him the title of what will be now the the what did they call it? That was so no one wanted to call it a porno. They were like, experimental film. <laughs> oh, yeah. how do you experimental like my car? film. Yeah, how do you like my yeah. car, big boy? <laughs> and he does something that is so not necessary, honestly, but it shows the sentiment of the rest mm-hmm. of the film, how it's where going to treat violence, where he covers, he covers her, up. her up. Because once again, you think this kid's been looking at her body this whole time, objectifying her, but in this moment, he's just kind of sad for her. He feels bad for her, and he covers yeah. her up. I think it was and just like really... She's
0: naked in the woods. You don't want to be naked in the woods, so you just <laughs> Maybe well, you yeah.
2: <laughs> but it was it was very it was very kind of like Shane Black taking the moment to once again mm-hmm. set you up for the theme of the movie, which is you're going to expect this type of movie. You're going to get the loud, bombastic car through the house thing. Yeah, they definitely going to be out of context. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be over really fast and it's gonna be completely out of its context. You're not you're not gonna see. It's gonna feel very idiosyncratic in that way. And then even better is you're gonna get the sex and violence. It's a woman dying and she's naked, oh my god, and a sexualized woman. But then it's gonna be subverted with this sentimentality of like No, this, this is kind of very
1: human moment.
2: Yeah, and that's what Shane Black does is he always paints these violent scenes with a human sentiment. Like it's never mm-hmm. you know what I mean? yeah that's what i'm saying it's like for the audience all i can say is he humanizes the people that the violence happens to nothing ever feels very like forced it's it's actually
1: right. kind of gross
2: right <laughs> characters you know, are kind of
1: like
0: ooh, this is bad <laughs> scenes i do want to talk about the scene when the doctor quote doctor comes <laughs> into the house to to get amelia
2: yes then, matt uh, homer's character and
0: as he's leaving the house like he could have just left and when they asked oh did you hear that noise he could have had a, a very clear out and instead he opens his trunk. It's like, Oh yeah, that was me throwing that girl out the window. He pulls out a submachine gun and just start.
2: <laughs> Correct. Demundo because he yeah. honestly doesn't give a shit at that point. You could tell like, right. this but guy like he is- could have
0: had an out and not had to like get involved in a gunfight there, but no, he was, it was just full Rambo there. And that's <laughs> yeah. such a great scene. Which is
2: insane. Like it is so great because it also sets up the stakes mm-hmm. really well that like clearly now this guy, employed by what will be revealed to be the FBI, would be King Bas- Kim Basinger's character who works for the yeah. FBI, he clearly doesn't care. He doesn't care about the noise, the, 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 whatever. He doesn't care about the scene he's making. He thinks he's just going to kill everybody and leave, and doesn't matter. <laughs> and that's the yeah, thing. is like but it's now just... that thing that they're running from mm-hmm. is unavoidable. Now they they can't stop it. And they're like, shit, they're in it. But like, the gunfight storytelling
0: in this movie feel a lot more – stacked against our heroes than they normally yes. do where they just have their like 38 special snub noses yeah. and stuff against these like actual assassin contract killer people
2: absolutely
0: hitmen and it it feels i i love how human and real these detective characters feel like when they get hurt it feels genuine and real and not oh like God, yes. like movie hurt you know it's like unless oh, you have ryan Gosling's
2: character telling him he's like hey i don't think i can die i think i'm invincible <laughs> right, <laughs> <right. so> great.
0: <laughs> but they stumble they fall he'll like fall he'll roll down that hill and find the dead body and it's set up all there's setups and payoffs in this movie these have some of my favorite just setups and payoffs that i feel oh like God, you yes. get and it's paced wonderfully exactly every scene feels like its own like little let's talk about
2: let's let's just please talk about that dead body because not only is it funny when he finds it it's funny when fucking russell Crowe's character comes up and tells him like what are you doing like how did you how does this happen with you and then they have to hide the body they throw Mm. it over a fence (laughs) but it's the hollywood hills so it goes and it crashes into into another party into another party (laughs) and they're all screaming freaking out and they have to run away anyway it is so great like you said the oh, setup it, you've just been concerned right. about this body this whole time and then there's the
0: girl like showing her porno to yes. his daughter
2: oh my god dude
0: uh, like, no i'm an artist so oh, so <laughs> which i wanted i kind of wish that we would have gotten more context on the porn movie that they were talking about <laughs> of course. it's like oh, i represent the auto manufacturers of detroit oh and he's just like railing her and it's like okay can we get like more of the political context to this because this is kind of interesting
2: oh my god oh then the uh the, the protest scene when they show up at the protest oh, like, the, yeah, birds like, can't breathe and it's one of my favorites like, answer I'm talking you were man dead, I'm dead. <laughs> and then he steps on the one girl's finger and she goes oh, fuck her and he goes sorry thought you were dead <laughs> it's like so petty and childish <laughs> like, holy crap dude oh just
0: the way they go about like getting doing their detect quote-unquote detective work yes. of getting the information in that scene and the oh, protest and of course that all plays into um you're like oh what do you mean she's not here this is a protest group he's like stop saying this what this is a protest <laughs> she started she's gonna be here oh man <laughs> which makes so perfect good. sense but russell crowe wasn't having any of it also i do the movie does one thing that you normally won't see in detective movies too, where it's like one of the detectives is just completely wrong. Like the thing about um, it not being the airport. Correct. Oh yeah. And he's like they like immediately his daughter's like, you're a shitty person. I hate you. You're not a good detective dad. And then he's like, oh yeah, well uh, that's not a flight. That's uh this, 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 this other thing. Cause uh, there's yep. a, there's a, there's it's a curfew anywhere. on flights or whatever. Yep. And then immediately you're like, Oh man, slick, slick. Because he would do this (laughs) a few times in the movie. But in this stance, he was just as wrong as could be. And he's like, Shit, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought there used to be like a curfew on flights or whatever. And it's it's great that they acknowledge that. Like, oh, sometimes you just go to a dead lead and then You it go is back. pretty
2: great man which once again subverts those expectations because you think it's going to exactly. be his big reveal that he's this super smart detective which happens later like it happens much much later because he, he is pretty smart and does, yeah the projector scene which was so great because then once again we've seen him fail miserably now multiple times to where we finally get this one victory of like his actual cool projector
0: table honestly
2: yeah, dude. Seriously, that was like the one thing in the movie. I was like, okay, all
0: right, man. The 70s That's cool. a
2: Bondian-looking thing going on yeah. there. The now, compartment. Meanwhile,
0: we can watch any film ever from a screen. not <laughs> <So laughs> Not have to, not have to rewind.
2: Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? Let's do that. Let's compare the actual reveal, or let's say the overall. Um, I do have one more thing that I want to talk Scoobies. about. Go ahead, because then, like I said, so, we can talk into comparing the actual mysteries yeah. of the film.
0: Go ahead. Um, I want to just briefly mention, and then I do also have, like, a couple questions about Inherent Vice that maybe Blake can shed light onto. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Possibly, like, for a couple of scenes where just weird stuff happens that haunts me to this very <laughs> this very hour since I've seen the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh my so the bit after the doctor leaves and Amelia runs away and the same dress that I guess she'd been wearing for like two or three days straight at this point, somehow it seems like. And still doesn't look like she'd been wearing this dress for <laughs> t- at least two days. Um, but when she runs out of the house as Dr. John Boy is leaving and then she tries to hitch the ride from her from him and immediately he just pops her in the in the noggin and oh
2: my god yeah. and literally he even acknowledges when he sees her he's like yeah you've got to be kidding me or what does he say wow i think or something he like, like that. that he's just as shocked as the audience is like this can't be happening this is so stupid this is no way <laughs> like right. it's so great it's yeah a- but they literally- don't like
0: dwell on that like have this whole big build up he's he doesn't like kidnap her and do whatever he's just, nope, just- pop Alright, and then on not his just, way.
2: Not just that, Zach, remember, we had this whole needless, like, shootout that just happened. Yeah. And now he just catches her running down the hill and right. she literally asks if she she doesn't know who he is. Right, she, she just, just wants to get out head. of that
0: situation. She's oh, so a person. Just, right. So
1: great. So fantastic, but it's just dude.
0: again that's just a subversion of your expectation. You're like, oh, they finally can like get the answers and stuff, which I guess they kind of got most of the answers they needed. They but did, but still, they needed. Like, the girl died, who which just wanted so... to save some birds. Oh,
2: so from
0: deep. these catalytic converters that the big three auto manufacturers in Detroit right. are making,
2: exactly, and yeah. so we can actually use that to kind of dovetail back to, um. Like I said, the, the overall mysteries themselves in the movies. So, as Blake so eloquently put it, we get this big plot um, by um, white landowners, basically. As much I can put it, real estate moguls, um, Jewish dentists, whatever, rich white people are plotting to flood the streets of Los Angeles with drugs and profit off of even the recovery of the addicts um, in, within this in system, which, right? and it's kind of like rinse and repeat. And it's insane. And I mean we get this big plot that does it just doesn't really do much because then all it amounts to is as Blake put, he just gets Luke Wilson's character out of being like a rat I mean, within Wilson. Yeah, Owen Wilson, sorry, I forget what I said. <laughs> um Owen Wilson, one of the Wilsons. Um you know, he we will. get him back to his family. Um, and he has to do with that thing, that one scene with Jenna Malone <laughs> that like, supposedly we, we had to remember that there is some kind of sentiment involved in that. I guess we're supposed to care about him. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I care and, about um, him. i was super happy for him. And I yeah. didn't know why. Because this movie I, is so confusing. you could
1: feel it in your soul. Because <laughs> you could feel it inside, even if you can't articulate it. Yeah, yeah I just saw exactly. face, I the music picked ridden. up.
0: And I was like, yay, Owen Wilson. <laughs>
2: yay. You from the Yay. following scene. A
0: saxophonist from LA.
2: Yeah, okay. So, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Zach. Because I honestly thought you were gonna be like, wait, I did. And you're like, no, you, completely, you went from the opposite. Very good, sir. <laughs> yeah. um, this is great. And um that's my point. It's like when you get this big mystery revealed, that doesn't really go anywhere. And not to mention, let's just say what needs to be said. Joaquin's Phoenix's character is literally the same guy from beginning to end. He has no growth, his character. Joaquin Phoenix's performance is good, but he doesn't exactly do he doesn't start anywhere. We only know that he has an ex-girlfriend and he's kind of beat up about it. He has a relationship with her. Um we know he's got a funky relationship with um everybody. Josh Roland's character. Yeah, and he's got these weird connections, but I mean, honestly, we don't know much about him at all. Like how he truly feels about stuff. Not really. I mean, And and that of- is
1: true. He's he is less a fully formed um Character, which is, is odd for Anderson, who usually his characters are very rich. Um and, and it's Blame, weird. One of the greatest characters ever. Daniel Blame, you. Thank you. <laughs> without question, absolutely. Oh my god. All right, so when you have somebody that... like um uh walking Phoenix, it, it it was an interesting choice to have less going on with the character, especially this coming off the heels of their collaboration on The Master, which is one of the greatest works in cinematic history without question. Yes. Um so yeah, I I would agree with that as being one of the sort of faults. Uh it works in so much as we just kind of go along for the ride. He becomes less of a character and more of a a minecart with which we traverse 1970 Los Angeles. Uh so it still mm-hmm. for me works as far as the presentation of atmosphere and and feel. And he is a great person to follow along and in his interactions with other people, but yeah, there isn't a whole lot um there wasn't a whole lot to his character, which is unfortunate. <laughs> there definitely could be more than just, you know, a stoned out private detective. But as far as playing a stoned out private detective, Walking Phoenix still kills it as always. Exactly. I do still
0: say it. that the, uh, I guess we would call this the one action scene in the movie. I really dug when Nazi yeah. man attacks him and then he's like fighting him for his gun banging his head again like that felt that was, very real and it just, it he just pops has, out just like shims the credit card yeah it
1: sticks
2: out and then but ready thing part out, of the, out of the
0: handcuffs yeah yeah and then he gets the gun and he, and he shoots shoot. the, guy at the
2: bottom of the steps yeah
0: yep. and that just feels so real like like you don't shoot someone every day that felt like a genuine this is a life or death i have to use a gun type scenario and, and that actually, it felt that like sets up the people. guns had that kind of weight to them that yeah. you generally want in most movies that you don't you don't feel like
2: what's the line of dialogue he says because that's the best part is i got he you yes he goes, yeah something like that yeah <laughs> oh, but continues sorry, i just wanted to insert that for everybody because it, it's such a great scene it is
0: it really is but yeah it does feel like guns have weight in this movie and when when that gun came out even it wasn't a big gun either it was like a Snub nose, something or other. Yeah, it was like, but a it was still, it had this big, this big weight to it. And you felt that, like, I, and I was like, okay, finally, something <laughs> I can, I can
1: follow yeah. this scene. Like, they're not yeah. talking. And that scene, that shot, I just want to, I want to talk for one minute because it lets me touch on yeah. another great difference between the two. Um, but that's the, that shot in particular what I love it. he he fires it off and it's kind of the handheld camera and there's this sort of like smoke from the discharge kind of rising mm-hmm. and walking phoenix gets really close to this light and it gets this kind of weird washed to it and it's that's just so indicative of how incredibly well shot this movie is i think the cinematography is so brilliant and there's so many little pieces that look so like uh, when he's first driving to try and find Mickey Wolfman. And there's these red flags everywhere. And Anderson and Robert Elswit, oh, yeah. the director of photography, they find so much beauty in these flags. They pop up a few times in this like five, ten they minute know. sequence. And they always look so great cast against this blue sky. They put so mm-hmm. much... They um, From the production standpoint, they went and actually got these old lenses from the 60s to outfit these cameras and film with. Okay, I was wondering about that. Yeah, that gives it this very unique look the the shots themselves are all organized so interesting like when he's walking up towards the the cop building and it's kind of following from far away and you just see these lines of cops walking and his physical
2: walk is so funny dude. when he's just avoiding the cops Yeah, and he's like a, giving them such a wide berth. But um all right, so then we 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 touched on inherent mm-hmm. vices ending that particular burst of violence, and then I want to talk about the character growth, like I said, that leads to the ending in, in the nice guys. So we get the big reveal of there is a plot of these people making a porno, or as they would like to put it, as they would like the world to know, a um what what do they say again? What is the word? Experimental um, film. Experimental yeah. film. You know, and they, they're they using it as a protest film as well, where it's got names, dates, all in the dialogue of mm-hmm. this porno experimental film. Sorry. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it's going to be shown at this car show where everyone's going to see it. And it is made with the character. One of the characters in the movie is the lady Kim Basinger's uh, daughter. Kim Basinger works at the FBI. So the FBI is trying to stop it. There's a big plot. And that is literally the main mystery. That's not really that compelling, right but what I is thought
0: compelling? It was
2: compelling right Well, I'm just saying in and of itself the way even I describe it it's also like, real okay. quick
0: just as a side note I loved that there was a shot where you just saw boxes of wood grain paneling <laughs> at the auto show <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, that's funny and like shag carpet and stuff for the oh my for God. the i tree like that is oh so beautiful. I'm so glad actually, that there was at least that little nod to the 70s. Right.
2: So, what's the best part to me is the fact that there are literal levels to the stakes in this sequence. Not only do we have the main plot coming um, into effect, where now, like, hey, can they get a copy of this film that'll have names and dates? And can they be the good guys and reveal the corruption inside the FBI, right? Can they, do, can they get the job done? And then, what also is at stake is literally their lives. Well, not only can they get the job done, but are they actually going to even pull this off? Is it a suicide mission because it's just two of them with one of his daughters? And then, on the very bottom, is their relationship to each other and um, Ryan Gosling's daughter. And what I mean by that is we see him pressured on the, um, I guess you'd say rooftop party where there's the bar. Now we know he's been drinking the whole time and he's failed miserably each time. He's been a drunk. He's been depressed his whole life. So now we're going to get the sequence where he's going up to the bar and then we cut daughter gets um, caught by one of the bad guys. One of the bad guys um, goes to get Ryan Gosling to go on the up wherever with her he turns around, he's faking to be drunk, but the audience doesn't know it yet, and his daughter is really visibly upset. Like, this is really painful for her to see, like, God damn it, can you please not be a disappointment for one time? Like, can you please actually step up and do the right thing and, like, do something important? Can I please be proud of my dad? And it's so great, because it's all over this great um, actor's face. And um, Ryan Gosling is faking, he's crying, and the even the bad guy now is putting his gun down to be like, dude, are you kidding me right now? Like, can you please be professional? And then what does he do? He pushes his daughter out of the way, and dives off um the rooftop with our bad guy and he falls in the pool bad guy actually dies right next to the pool and now we know oh he wasn't he was sober the entire time he was faking it yeah super spoilers but (laughs) only because this is shane black giving you everything you want and more you're Mm. you're getting multi-layered stakes because and also once again to bring it back to the scene with russell crowe you know yeah is he is he gonna kill this guy is he gonna be a cold-blooded killer his whole life or is he actually gonna stop and you know kind of be like the the good guy that he always says he wants to be the guy he really wants to be. And it's emulated in with that little girl asking, telling him, I'm never going to speak to you again if you kill that man. And it's so great because then the film literally wraps up everything. Ryan Gosling gets it and his little ink that was smudged on his hand now no longer says you will never be happy. It says you will be happy. Yeah, I was, was very beautiful.
0: confused about that the whole time.
2: We never actually know who wrote it. Maybe it was his daughter because she caught him sleeping in the freaking tub. Who knows? Or maybe he wrote it himself. Point is, it's a nice little
0: visual cue. So wait, that would imply that he's left-handed. Oh. Ah. <laughs> oh. Because I mean, that penmanship was pretty good for someone using their non-dominant hand. He's
2: ambidextrous. That's, yeah, maybe he's ambidextrous. Hmm, maybe, we'll maybe, maybe he's but that. Okay. the movie quickly ends with them doing the nice guy's investigative agency or whatever it's called and it's really sorry sweet you look I... filipino yeah i love that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so like the movie knows how to end like it's done yeah. it doesn't take 30 minutes after that and by this... the way did you know let's go ahead and say this right now this is why i brought this up like that terrific scene of violence that has comes out of left field for inherent vice there's still 28 movies uh, minutes, of movie all, 28
1: 28 minutes. minutes of movie left after that. There oh are 28 minutes
0: of movie left after that. There are 28 minutes. Let's uh, <laughs> like let's not it's over about it takes you
2: 28 minutes to wrap up everything we already know. Like we know that. Whoa! Well, I don't up. know. There is
1: no wrapping up because this is just one time section out of the entire continuum. This is the end of Inherent Vice is the beginning the Cimmerillion of... Cimmerillion that is the Inherent um, Vice. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the beginning of contemporary America is the end of Inherent Vice. That's where we really start to travel down the dark, dark depths.
0: It's like the Old Testament of America.
2: I swear, Exactly. Dude. It's, <laughs> it's so ridiculous because now what it has to do at the end is wrap up the Aryan Brotherhood connection and then which it does that by the death of those two guys and then it needs to go ahead and set up the fact that they are bringing the drugs in and Josh Brolin's character is going to use Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix's character as bait but then he's going to go ahead and call that one guy who now we know because he's the dad of the girl who was getting you know
0: I'm already down by Martin well I'm, I'm sorry see what I'm
2: saying like it's so <laughs> ridiculous thank
1: you Zach like it's so ridiculous. I'm like, dude, end. And that end. is the purpose. It is to be disorienting. It is to be confusing. It is to put you in this, this twilight state of what is going on? What is solved? What isn't solved? And at the end of the day, it's this, the most boring handoff. It is, it is millions upon millions upon millions of dollars of heroin. It's these huge fucking baskets of heroin in the back of this truck. And just kind of take off mom and her by daughter. a couple of kids in this little station wagon. And it's, yes. there's no guns. There's yeah. no, Big deal to it because that's that's what it is. You do you do all of this, and at the end of the day, Owen Wilson gets penalty and walking Phoenix Fifth to drive with Shasta. We don't even know where that's going because, as she says, you know this means we're not back together,
2: and uh, so you don't know if she's actually alive or not at all. Like you don't know if this happened in the past or what. So, you don't know. What's going
0: back to that that handoff scene, that was actually one of my favorite bits of the movie <laughs> was when they're tra- they're switching the. The drugs from one trunk to the other, and he's trying to make small talk with the girl and her daughter at during the handoff. So
1: how long have you been and working for just, the Golden Fang?
0: Yeah, <laughs> and they just both give him the bird as so they're walking away. It's like what? What? I'm not sure what happened there, <laughs> but also that would be kind of weird. Like, what do you do in that situation when you're in the middle of the handoff? One question that I remember having about in advice okay. Vice. So Blake, what was the deal with that scene when? I think I think it's when he's at the one lady's house, the British lady yep. with the Aryan um Masseuse or whatever he was, spiritual guide. Okay. And I do have one note about that scene before I get to the question. So when she comes in and she's like, Do you like the lighting? Oh. My immediate thought was not really. It's <laughs> not really great. Why why? <laughs> that confused me. Because the lighting wasn't really great there. It was just bright and I couldn't hardly see anything. Everything was blown out in the background and she looked super washed out. It's like maybe this TV is not set right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I loved
1: the look of it. When she's standing there, she's just okay. framed and she has the black you know veil or whatever. So do you like the lighting?
0: Oh, I couldn't even see it. Maybe my oh TV my setting God. is screwed up then because it seemed very bleachy and washed out.
1: Oh, it's definitely so kind of washed out, but it's not. It, I didn't think it was too.
0: Okay. Okay, maybe it was just, maybe opinion. it's like whenever I watch something on Amazon, I feel like it has yeah. a whole different vibe to it. But it anyway, may. so my question, when he's like leaving that house, he just basically does like this weird shoulder ram onto the cop car.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. what,
0: what's up with that?
1: So and then he thought he was going to flip Bigfoot's...
2: over the car. He thought he was going to have a big scene where he flips over yeah, the car. He, run,
1: he, was, he yes. was trying to run up like onto the car and just... Hardcore failed, but I I think there was a there was a bit of a fatalistic element to it where he just he kind of knew he wasn't getting out of this. He's given the one the old college try, but this is going to end up with me on the ground. And it It just seems like he
0: could have ran away from the car instead of.
1: I think he knew he wasn't going to get away from Bigfoot. I think he knew like if I'm going up against Bigfoot, Bigfoot's going to get me.
0: Vandalize his car. I I think yeah.
2: I think once again, you know what's funny is I always say that there's you have to use a. the artistic logic over actual logic and this is Paul Thomas Anderson trying well, to give well yeah it, but
0: that doesn't in this give it weird. because ends up there yep
2: I know I'm just I'm just telling <laughs> you what I saw and I didn't like it doesn't mean I liked it but I can understand it I mean like, I, I get go, twin okay. peaks
0: more than I get this movie <laughs>
2: It's so true, dude. It's so dense for no reason. It's just like, come on, yeah. dude. You didn't need any of this. You didn't need it, you but we
1: got it, and we are a better world for right.
2: it. <laughs> well, I don't know. Zach, so... I think you you got the showdown you wanted out of these movies.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, and think, may I, may I say this it may not surprise you: this is the only adaptation of Thomas Pynchon's work that exists thus far And <laughs> <laughs> his other books for a good reason, I, dude. I, I own. Like five of his books, I have only ever read one to completion. <laughs> they are they are yeah. brilliant, but they are mm. exhaustive. They are so dense. Seems there's like so it. much going on, but they they again just like I said before. My main the main merit I think that this has, and I do find it to have a lot of weight to it. This merit, but there isn't anything else like it. Just like there's nothing else like Thomas Pynchon's books, and there's nothing else quite like Paul Thomas Anderson's other films. There's no other movie that functions the way inherent vice does and it has its good qualities for that and has its bad qualities for that but at the end of the day if you want to watch a movie like that that's kind of your only option and movies that carry that element to them immediately find a place where even if i don't uh, i do love this movie but there are other movies that are kind of like that where i don't totally love them but i will go to bat for them and i will always remember them and think back on them and the nice guys as much as i go ahead
0: oh sorry go go go
1: as nice guys, as much as I love it and I'm entertained by it and I have watched it several times and I will watch it more, it's not a movie that I I think of too often outside of just some of the, the jokes and the humor and the enjoyment mm-hmm. of it. But it's not a movie that left me with something where I felt like I I gained something personal from it. Some movies I gained some, oh, right, something something right. in my head. This movie I absolutely mm-hmm. gained something in my soul. Like I I feel different for having finally properly absorbed and i didn't get that with the nice guys but again the nice guys is the more entertaining of it's the mo- if anybody came over and there's like hey you want to watch inherent vice there's a decent chance i might be like eh, not right now i can't always watch that movie but i can always put on the nice <laughs> guys that's always
0: yeah fun. the nice guys is like a nice bottle of YooHoo,
1: exactly see but the
2: thing is and this is where i will mm. place my final point of contention we'll have to disagree blake is
0: well hang on we, disregard... we've still got some more to do before we do the vote
2: oh, okay okay because i will just say this I have to admit that I disagree when people say, well, it's just a pop song. Like when they talk about like any old pop song, like for example, people first disregard a lot of what the Beatles did early on. And I'll get to my point here. How is he bring up the Beatles? What does have to do with Nice Guys? Because <laughs> you're right. The Nice Guys in and of itself is easily absorbed and it's over quickly and it doesn't consumable. have these very deep themes. Yeah, it comes across as consumable. But the artistry involved. In writing the perfect oh, absolutely. Lyric, something
1: that is catchy, something because not everybody can do it. You could not teach everybody. The nice guys do in it. a film school in like a screenwriting class, you could not and do the that thing with is, their advice.
2: No, and that's the thing, is like there has to be a nod to the craftsmanship of what really works, like the flow of and the balance of tone and how action sequences are giving their given their weight, but also allowed to have physical mm-hmm. comedy involved with them. Not Every film can do it. I'm sorry. And not everyone can write this script and flesh out these characters the way wow. he does. And it's just, it's just like, it, you have to give it credit because it's hard to do. It, it's hard to do. It and it's is. never easy. And, and so, I mean,
0: like, it, oh, sorry, go.
2: No, that was just my whole point. It's like, we can say inherent vices. You could say someone's better, I guess you could say like more artistic, but I also feel like that lends itself to being, and I hate say this because PT Anderson, I love you, pretentious. <laughs> it's highly pretentious it can seem like it's almost like, well, you guys just need to learn more and then come back and watch my movie. And
1: that's it's why it like, no. so well to pretentious people like me. <laughs> yeah. <And> like,
0: <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. so, so here's ahead. a- Oh, sorry. Sorry, did you have no, more? No, go ahead, Zach. Okay. No, 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 that's it. So it's interesting with Nice Guys, like especially after watching both of these films pretty much back to back, Nice Guys is definitely, absolutely the more consumable film. And what's sad is that like watching Nice Guys and then at the end of Nice Guys I was like, you know, I could I could really see a sequel for this movie with these characters yes. in this style. And I don't yeah. normally say that about most movies, but like a continuation where it just felt like another mystery with this group with the the two detectives with the daughter. Characters. Yeah, they're so fun and the interaction between them was just so enjoyable the whole way through and all of the weird goofs that they had. Like I would absolutely love another movie with this. Whereas group, you wouldn't but want don't...
1: another two and a half hour doc, uh, <laughs> mystery. <laughs> oh, no, You'd probably, more
0: I mean, I, I, I Think that the world would still be okay without that, but it's interesting <laughs> with this because this movie, nice guys, didn't really do very well in the Which box is office. A travesty, because I think I travesty, think so many yeah. people
1: would be able to enjoy it. I think it is so yeah, good. Such this, this movie such is now taking on the movie. same
2: life. No, this movie is now taking on the same life that Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh God, I love Scott, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Talk about that the sure. box office. Yeah, we yeah. we literally it, we watched it crash and burn in in the theaters i was one of literally the only people in the theater it was me and three other people who are sitting in a screening of scott pilgrim vs. the World when it came out and now everybody knows what that movie is there's not one person that i've talked to that i know kids our age like
0: you know the gospel yeah you
2: know what i mean and so that's how i feel Be like nice guys is now yeah right
0: yeah but anyway <laughs> so, so the yeah. the budget for um which I also want to do this for inherent vice just as a kind of comparison, but the budget for nice guys was 50 million. It netted 62.8 million USD in the box office and which it's not great. I mean, it made its money back and then some, I'm sure the investors weren't super thrilled, but it was, I guess like it wasn't marketed right or there was something about marketing from what I briefly read, which is kind of kind of sad. Cause I mean, that's, That's a big part of whether your movie is successful or not is how well it's marketed. And usually it'll be like at least twice the budget and then some for marketing for a movie and inherent vice on the other hand. So it's weird. 82 Google people liked this movie. Apparently it's, it's weird when you like look at the Metacritic stuff. Also quick side note, this is one of the few Owen Wilson movies that doesn't have Ben Stiller in it.
1: Interesting. Nice. yeah
0: and <laughs> good little um, statistic <laughs> yeah well i mean isn't it it is that is because when i saw owen wilson in it like i was ben? kind of expecting ben hiding? stiller to be somewhere in the movie at some point even if they're not in a scene together but they're to just like be there somewhere but anyways so inherent vice had a budget of 20 million u.s dollars and the box office net was fourteen point seven million <laughs> Holy so damn, dude. that's a fairly significant loss for a movie to operate, and, and it they still talking. want to make phantom yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah so but even watching this so i I saw these numbers before I watched the film, and then in kind of the opening scene, I was like, okay, I can get why this movie didn't do too well, and also it's based off of would you say it's a kind of an obscure Book.
1: Yeah, it, it, when you get into that realm of literature, he's definitely one of the heavy mm-hmm. hitters. But if you don't know or care about postmodern literature, then he never really crossed into the mainstream. This is the and would you thing.
0: say most people aren't? Yeah, most super people, into the postmodern literature. Yeah, world? I
1: would say most people are completely unfamiliar with it, and if introduced to it, would not take that well to it. The only kind of brush with and it's a fairly big brush with the mainstream that the genre has is uh, David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest that's the kind of mm-hmm. book that people do kind of know of it they at least know that it's this challenging gigantic tome and that was directly influenced from Pynchon and Don DeLillo and these other writers and that was sort of the the great American post novel but again yeah. most people outside of that aren't super familiar with it
0: is this like a French movie? Is this how French movies are?
2: Oh, started, <laughs> Is that dude, just because, like yeah. a
0: very blanket statement to just throw out?
2: Pt Anderson, P. T. Anderson loves French cinema. Let's not get into like his choice
0: shots that are. Hey sorry, man, sorry. I really like Fifth Element too. Yeah. <laughs>
1: the Studios, ultimate French shots I, I have to yeah. say,
2: I do. I, I have to say that like it took me three tries to to really grasp the full. Like concepts that are are floating Same. around in an Hair Advice and like it took three tries at it. So that's what I mean. And like- I didn't
1: get a chance to mention this. Uh for anybody that is listening that has made it this far, as much as you can tell I love inherent advice I fell asleep halfway through the first time I ever saw the movie. I was so oh, like everybody has. It's everybody like, has. Right? I fell asleep. It's it, it was I it, almost it, did, I was so excited honestly. And I was like I I, oh, I can't. And I did not like this movie until the second time I watched it, and I did not really understand even that much of it until my third time watching it. and this fourth time even filled me in on a little bit more there were some other elements i had kind of missed
0: maybe that was the logic for the box office like okay so you get the same people and they're going to watch it (laughs) they are going to buy four four tickets they're going to spend 10 hours at the cinema (laughs) on this movie
2: see and that's the thing is like it goes against everything that should be why you want people to see your movie again. Mm -hmm. The real reason is you want someone to come back because they really like the story. All right, and so then they watch it a second time for that story, but now because they already know what's going to happen, they can start to pay attention to maybe more of the costume or more of this editing choice, more of this. You're not so focused on plot. And then by the third time you watch a film, now you're really keying into like, wow, this is a really good performance and this is why I can see this facial gesture. I can see this physical comedy. I can do this. Now, like I've been watching movies since like I was... God, dude, I was watching and I should watch movies. I shouldn't be watching when I was like eight years old. And I remember nice, watching, like it's ridiculous. And so like, I've watched several movies multiple times and really appreciate them from all angles. It's something that I've always enjoyed doing inherent vice. As Blake said in our, our discussion before we started recording when we, in our little uh, text back and forth, it's like, it is such an enigma. It's like this box that is just endless in plot. And if you, you could you're not gonna find new artistry because you won't have time for it because P. T. Anderson has slipped in more plot. Another <laughs> anecdote, something that doesn't really make sense, or something that has relevancy to the time and era that I was in. That doesn't have to do with the movie or the characters. It's just something he wanted to put in for more context, because that's what it needs. It needs more context. It's so suffocating. I'm like P. T. Anderson man.
1: Jesus Mark Christ. Mark Marin summed it up perfectly in the interview I was listening to, where he said that Every sentence in this movie is a portal. Everything everybody is saying opens up this, this chasm into uh. these ideas and concepts that we, can, we can't explore because we're now in the next scene and we've forgotten what the plot is. And I, I, I want to uh-huh. touch on what you just said because I think that's one of the things that makes this brilliant in a way that's different from the way like The Nice Guys is brilliant. Where, like you said, you watch a movie and the first thing you're going to pay attention to is the plot. You, what is the movie? What's it about? Let's follow this through. Then you watch it again. You can pick up more of the characters, etc. etc. et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. When you watch Inherent Vice the first time, one of the first things you learn within 30, 40 minutes is, I don't understand the plot. There seems to not be a plot. I don't know what's going on. And for those of us that are able to come back to it a second time, when you go in with that, then it's Mm -hmm. sort of like, I I think I mentioned this earlier, it sort of lifts that, um, you sort of ditch that need to know what's going on. And when you just let yourself exist in the scenes, it starts to show you all the other elements that are the film. It's not just the script. It's not just the story. It is the look. It is the feel. It is the sounds. It is the way the people are mm-hmm. acting. Uh, whereas something with the nice guys, you do watch the first time and you get this fantastic plot. It can be, a, you don't know always know exactly what's going on, but then they show you what's going on and you get to watch it just like that. And it's and that's kind of what the main difference is, is this really incredibly well-crafted film. Um, but like I said, that you could teach it in a screenwriting class. You could teach it in a filmmaking mm-hmm. class. Versus yeah. I mean as far as the pacing opposite goes, of that. I
0: feel like like uh Nice Guys is is a wonderfully based film. Oh absolutely gosh And I mean, I oh gosh, dude.
2: It, it I mean through, pacing man. is one of my favorite things
0: in a mm-hmm. film, like weird pacing, which I mean I feel like Inherent Vice could have done really well as like an HBO series or something.
1: That's how I feel maybe. about his other film, Magnolia. Is I just, mm. there's too much. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like where yeah. you're able to break it down into maybe 30 minute chunks and have it feel a little bit more consumable and things being tightened up a little bit but as you know, where soon, you're not trying to like go over the whole thing
1: i but think I'm as sure soon that. as you do that with inherent vice then mm-hmm. what that's going to end up doing is really showing the bad elements of it i think the, okay, the from true, what yeah. i have gathered from four watches of it and maybe this will change four watches from now but it, it is about the disorientation it is about the What is going on? What is real? What isn't? And when you are, when you have this just deluge of information over what is it like two hours, two hours, ten minutes? Wasn't that what Twin Peaks was? Yeah, exactly. And I think David Lynch broke the way for us to be able to do movies like this because there is an appeal to confusion. There is an appeal to idiosyncratic dialogue. If people can watch Twin Peaks and Mulholland Drive, they should be able to watch Inherent Vice.
2: I mean, yeah, but then that gets in a whole discussion of, like, who really – like, I like David Lynch because it's fun. Like, it's fun to, to pick apart what it is he's thinking about. But, like, he doesn't necessarily – he goes in with you knowing that he's not even making a traditional right. plot. Like, Mulholland Drive doesn't even have your traditional plot at all to set out oh, with. It like, does not. So – Inherent vice comes in with this disguise of yes. a very straightforward detective story, mm. and then suddenly you go, No, there, there is no plot. You're telling me that there is a will. Will, there
1: would you say, The free jazz
0: line. of movie?
1: Will, right? Like, would you, oh, I'm sorry, say, sorry, would you say that in, in disguise that this film is almost sort of like an interloper? Is it a, a thing invited into our God. society to subvert oh and co opt no, what's you did. going on? No, you didn't. No, <laughs> But no now you, look, like, you, said that you, okay. you
2: are projecting. You want that to be the case. <laughs> oh so that
1: we, okay. Do we think that
0: we're ready to vote?
1: Genius. <laughs> Yeah, we can we can vote. This is we I wonder how this vote will go. Pete <laughs> Anderson is such a genius that he really
2: right. made this film like to be an interloper, describing the character's paranoia. So like, you become paranoid like Josh Brolin's character.
1: I'm gonna go write a whole thing after we're done. Actually, before we take the vote, though, I do want to say because I I love so much that you said um because I'm more or less joking. I from listening to Paul Thomas Anderson talk about this, there yeah. wasn't this uh. Uh, yeah, higher thought to it like that. It really was supposed to be a, a human story about Shasta and Doc and Owen Wilson, all those kinds of people. But I do love that you said the movie, it, it wore a disguise. When you watch the trailers for it, it really does look like there's a lot of movement, a lot of comedy. It's this detective story. It's the 60s neon and drugs and oh, the amazing cast. And then you're right. When you sit down and watch it, it is really not what the the marketing sort of promises because even though it is heady and druggy. It's way more like you like when he smoked the PCP cigarette, or if you're like shooting up ketamine, as opposed to if you're taking LSD. Like it's not fear and loathing in Las Vegas at all. It is this very <laughs> slow, weird. But yeah, I, I love it because I, I think it, the marketing did give it this weird disguise of this private detective film that it didn't it didn't live up to, and it gives you something completely different. Whereas with somebody like David Lynch, like you said. You know, when you put on uh, Lost Highway, you know exactly what kind of movie you're gonna be seen. You know what sort of things David Lynch does and what he is or isn't good at. Whereas with Pete C. Anderson, this is different from his normal wheelhouse of what he gives you with his films.
0: There is so, one yeah, let's, let's, more uh, one more thing that I do want to like actually <laughs> give props to uh, to Inherent Vice for before we jump into this. Um, so there were a lot of moments when characters heads would just be cut off of the frame oh yes, and the camera wouldn't move to it it was kind of like an et when you never saw an adult's face except for the mom until dr whatever his name was who was like i'm gonna probe et (laughs) and then um uh i thought that was a very a very strong choice and a very a very good choice for this movie because there's enough going on already for it (laughs) to tell you these characters don't matter even when they would have sentences of dialogue like the waiter that told him about uh oh bigfoot was looking for you uh he's yeah. uh all this stuff he said uh oh, tomorrow's another day so he's probably gonna bang your door in tomorrow. but like there's that whole conversation going on and it stayed on doc and doc's friend that looked like shaggy um <laughs> and i just and that happened multiple times through the movie where there were a lot of characters you just never saw they were cut off yeah never saw like God. above the nipple. <laughs> But I just I thought that was a strong choice and a choice that that I thought was just worth worth mentioning. I mean, it's definitely a movie to check out. And I like if you're someone who appreciates cinema and likes cinema and like is interested in the industry and stuff, I definitely think it's a movie worth worth
1: investigating
0: watching for for nothing else other than to see to see (laughs) just a strange movie and kind of sort of the edges of cinema i mean i don't want to say this in a negative way where it feels negative but these i mean art is subjective all this is subjective our dumb opinions here on this show are subjective (laughs) and we i mean we're doing this because we just like we like movies and we like to uh, explore more about them anyway do we want to get to this vote yes all right who wants to go first
2: Um, I guess it'll have to be me. I can do this. Um, a right.
0: uh, first to uh to place their so vote hard. is Will. Yeah. He's voting remotely because of COVID.
2: Exactly. <laughs> it's really hard right now. I need to. I need to think. I mean, <laughs> this is really tough. It's a hard decision.
1: Uh,
0: All right, any day now.
1: The nice guys. <laughs> oh God, so Holy. hard. I mean, I did not I know. see that coming. Will, my goodness. Oh,
0: a <laughs> uh, way to subvert our expectations <laughs> <laughs> yes. all right blake you are up the floor is yours
1: as you can probably all uh assume i'm going to give it to inherent vice being the better film of the two but i would like to uh, once again reiterate that for entertainment value for the uncultured masses <laughs> Uh, i would i would give it to nice guys I mean, if i had to recommend a movie to somebody i would recommend the nice guys before i'd recommend inherent vice but if we're just talking my what i personally like more of the two Certainly. it's definitely going to be inherent vice that's one that sticks with me more and that's when i'm going to visit internally in myself more often
0: all right it's down to you um, zach yeah. all right so uh here we go i'm I almost do feel a little bad for saying this, but I mean, for commercial appeal and the amount of laughs that I got, I've got to go with the nice guys. I mean, I definitely feel like Inherent Vice has value. Again, as I said, it feels it feels in a lot of ways like a Moby Dick where yes. watch it in 20 years and you'll when you're like a more mature, more uh when More life has slowed down individual. and
2: you don't care anymore yeah. about plot and you really just want to watch stuff and look at things move and you're like there's something going on here they said something funny he's sucking on that frozen chocolate yeah. so covered banana real sucking on that
1: covered
0: that was another thing with this movie it's it when i i was i was like kind of scrolling through some of the uh or like the the log line while the movie was on to just try and like get an idea of like what the plot was once I was like 20 (laughs) minutes in and it's like, it said mystery comedy, mystery <laughs> uh, comedy. And the whole time it
2: it's
1: really. <laughs> like,
0: is it though? Like, cause the comedy stuff was so weird that I it's wasn't so sure flat, if it was just trying to be so, edgy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the like when he has his finger and bad. he's like, Oh, were you doing this with her? And he's like, <laughs> yeah. just like shoving his finger into his other fingers for
1: oh, and he puts it at his least mouth a and
0: minute like, straight. Takes it out. And Oh my God. Yeah.
2: Or the, the awkwardness that he's yelling in Japanese. Moto Yeah. Hi. 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 So ridiculous.
1: Also,
0: the thing with the boat. Like, I wanted to know more about the boat. Yeah. <laughs> it was set up. I'm like, that would have been cool. I want to see, like, yeah, what these Chinese schooners go, yeah. are like.
2: <laughs> You set up Benicio del, Toro, del Toro's character to like introduce all this information about this boat that, that is irrelevant. This yeah.
1: is America. That's what this is all about. It's irrelevant to the film, the everyone. Actor <laughs> they took out the Marshall. boat. What uh, he represented the anarchist state in the 30s the United States. He takes oh it out. God. The FBI comes in, reasserts it, and just as Benicio Del Toro says, he says, They gutted it, man. They she was beautiful. Yeah, we were all on so. our way to a progressive future in the fbi big government came in and took it away and restructured into a chinese heroin operation it's america man all right
0: just get it but like (laughs) the boat was the most interesting thing in the movie and they did nothing i wanted to see what was going on (laughs) on the boat when you bring a boat into a movie i'm like that's cool Let's see, and it nope. had the cool like Chinese sails on it and stuff that all were all segmented. It was only cool saw it from a
2: distance. They were just looking at it the whole I, time, it's it's kind like of that the distance. At the
1: yeah, i was like, toys. why is this you boat pulled it? in
0: if it's a drug mule boat that's well known about?
2: <laughs> oh my god, what it's so great! That, like, anyway, nothing with sorry, these, with these. This is elements. like the saltiest nothing.
0: outro any ever. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, the next episode we'll be back to our uh, our Disney Pixar stuff going on. Um, we've got some, we've got some YouTube stuff coming up, some live stream stuff coming up that we're going to try and incorporate with, uh, with our show and do some other stuff. Um, so stay tuned for some of that. And you can, as always follow us on the great movie showdown on Twitter. That's at great showdown on Twitter. Give us some followers. We just started it up the other day and, um, yeah, let us know what you think of this show on there. And also, like, rate us on Apple and Spotify and stuff. Appreciate the Absolutely. support. Love everybody. Uh, does anyone have any closing thoughts before we uh, before we close out?
2: No way, man. This has exhausted me just like watching Inherent Vice for the third time. <laughs> huh?
0: Yeah. Dude, I feel like I put in a lot of work today, honestly.
1: Exactly. You, you guys did. I'm proud of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, thanks for I, being thank here, you, as thank always. Thank so much
1: for having me on. Uh, I, had, I had such oh, a good time. I love doing these because, like as much as I, like you said earlier, like, we we talk about these because we love movies, and I do feel like right. I gain a deeper understanding, for even movies that I already love, when I get a chance to come on mm-hmm. here and chat with you guys about it. So, thank you so much for oh, inviting anytime. me. And yeah, me on. please.
0: Thanks for doing it. We're going to have you on again soon. Fantastic. Absolutely. Well, uh, this has been the Great Movie Showdown. Thank you for joining us, and have a good night. This has been a Nice Throw production. Nice throw, Matt.